3: Back to a Celtic state of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and this Thursday bulletin has a new look about it, a wee bit like Celtic. Uh, we'll come back to the hoops, if you can still call them hoops, a little bit later. We've got Jerry Taylor, and you're teaming up for the first time, Jerry, with Sean Conley, who is, of course, joining us from our friends at Celtic Down Under. How are you doing, guys?
0: Yeah, no bad. Uh, in hospital for a bit there with appendicitis, but uh, out now feeling a bit better. My body's a bit confused, getting loaded up with antibiotics and probiotics uh, with the kombucha. So I don't think my body really knows what to do with it all, to be honest.
3: Well... Sean, I hope uh, a wee one-hour discussion about Celtic will assist you in your recovery. Jerry's dropped out for the the moment. I just thought he was sitting with that pose, that smiling pose, as if he was <laughs> going to get his, his picture taken. But indeed, he had frozen. So we'll just sit tight until Jerry comes back. There's loads to discuss before we went live. Sean, I says to you, last time we chatted about Celtic, the last time you uh, came on here as a guest from Celtic down under, and suppose the quote. Poster was still a Gaffer. I can't even say his name now. He's a distant memory. Um, mm. He was still a Gaffer. It just shows you how fast-paced things have been over the last few weeks at Celtic.
0: Yeah, I've been getting some marketing emails from, um, so we've got like one big sports stadium down here. It's called Optus because they sponsor it and I'm an Optus customer. So I get like these marketing emails and it's like, yeah, come down to Optus Stadium, $150 for a lunchtime meeting with Ange Postecoglou. I'm like, it's too soon.
3: It's too soon, man. It is. It is too soon. And and the thing was, during the week there, um, listen, we'll get on to Brendan Rodgers and what happened last night with the game and signing targets and the new hoops and everything else. But um, he gave his first presser. And I was saying to Kev there during the week, I, I wasn't even interested in looking at it. And I knew that any mention of Celtic would have resulted in every news source. Running the story, of course. That's You know, that's what they're into. That that is their whole purpose. But I wasn't that bothered. I didn't want to hear what he had to say, Sean. I'm I'm over it already.
0: Yeah, and and the news sources are running it because it's going to get clicks, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, I mean, when you break up with your ex, which social media profile gets the most clicks? You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's. Uh... Not, not not your strangers and not your friends.
3: You know, there's there's been definite um, signs that we are treating our, our managers and our players like ex partners, Sean, because that's not the first time. I mean, even Jota in his farewell oh, speech, yeah. yeah. You know, he's talking yeah. about he's referencing ex girlfriends and how we were more special to him than ex-girlfriends. <laughs> People are saying, You don't take Rogers back, it's like taking back the ex-wife. What is that all about? Surely it's different in football.
0: Well, as because we love Celtic, isn't it? And I guess uh, by extension, we we love the parts of Celtic and and the the players and the the managers are certainly the most significant parts of that. I guess even if they're the most transient.
3: Yeah, and and you know the thing as well, many of these subjects. I.e., Jota leaving, Ange leaving, etc. They've been discussed uh, both on Celtic Down Under and on a- Axon. They've all come in and out of the dis- uh, discussion today because you and I certainly haven't spoken about them together. Um, but I want to look at it in a slightly different way because it occurred to me yesterday when I was talking to John Hughes that you know, if you want to go by the first three sales of Coglu players, then he could well be on the tail of Neil Lennon um, as being the manager who has probably brought in the most profit from their signings. And, mm-hmm. you know, because Lennon, yeah, we brought in a lot of duds, I guess you would call them. But when he sold a player big, we got big money for them. And even uh, Van Dyke, you know, with the sale, on, we ended up with about 20 million pounds, um, minus a two and a half that we, so I think Ange, if we were in the fullness of time to sell another four or five of his signings, and hopefully that doesn't happen this preseason, he could be right up there punching alongside Lenny. He might even overtake him.
0: The most interesting thing, though, about that is that Postacoglu never once, as far as I can remember or would have noticed, never once used the term player trading model. Uh, he did talk about things like get used to losing your heroes but it felt more like he was just moving players on because, right, these guys aren't going to do it for me anymore or, you know, like more of a turnover for keeping the best team on the pitch rather than a turnover to make money, which is kind of been was what Lennon uh, would publicly state and what Rodgers was kind of forced onto him in his first spell and in, mm-hmm. in Postacoglu. Even though he has done that, it's not been his, his stated aim or his goal. So I think if you... That's an interesting thing, right? If we focus on improving the team on the pitch, it's almost like the the, the profit will just follow.
3: Absolutely, yeah, you're right, and and I, and I think that Angie's approach did seem to be more focused on the football rather than the balance sheet. But as you say, it's a wee bit like when people make that comparison about you know aim for Europe and the domestic game will, will look after itself. You're absolutely right. Hopefully, Jerry will be able to come back in. I do know that he's got a new compadre uh, over the last week, and hopefully, Milo the dog hasn't chewed through the cable, and that will be him <laughs> out of action for a wee while. But if Jerry clicks on that, seems like he'll, he'll join us at some point, and hopefully, we can get him back back into the discussion. There's some great comments coming through. I'm going to start with last night's game. Um, and, and Stephen Sloan gets right off the mark here. And he says, yesterday, Aberdeen's Twitter had team lineups, uh, goal alerts, etc. for their game against Turriff. We play a team from Portuguese Premier League. And Celtic Twitter doesn't even mention the game existing. Sean, I did find it a bit strange. Uh, you know, I know it was a behind-closed-door game. Um, and it's a bounce game, and people might say you can't read too much into these games, and, and I get all of that. Um, but two things, yeah, we want our Celtic and we want our football fix. Of course we do. Uh, it wasn't being televised, so you're kind of relying on Twitter and social media a wee bit more for your updates, as Stephen says. Um, but at, at the same time, even beyond the kind of personnel, the lineups, et cetera, I wanted to see how Celtic shaped up. I wanted to see how Brendan is going to approach this. Uh, were you a bit disappointed last night in that, Sean?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, we had like the the friendly, but it, it was all the B team essentially. We had uh, another B team friendly since then, and those games have been kind of, I wouldn't say live tweeted, but there's been there have been you know stuff that has been posted on Twitter. The only thing that I can, and the other thing that was about the game in Portugal was the guy with the camera on the hedge. Um, he showed that the teams were kind of walking out fully kitted uh, in a straight line side by side as if they were taking it seriously which was interesting but the only thing I can think of that it would have made it got such a blackout uh, as it was was maybe there's some kind of legal slash competition rule around this game was just not in any way a sanctioned or official game so therefore it had to be like this isn't officially happening I, that's the only thing I can think of yeah,
3: that's you know, interesting some, yeah Yeah, it's like they've just played it in a public park because it isn't an official game. No, I absolutely get that. And I didn't even consider that. I just wanted my my Celtic updates, as uh, Stephen was saying there. Um, As far as I know, um, Paddy, the the score was 0-0. Celtic had a goal disallowed. I'm I'm following all this on the likes of the Twitter pages that you were mentioning there. Um, And I'll tell you what if you had had a wee bit more foresight, or if I had had a wee bit more foresight, Axon could have been there. I could have just swapped my holiday destination, Sean. The wife wouldn't have minded. And I could have watched that game last night and then the upcoming match on Saturday as well. There is quite a lot happening, as you can imagine. But as the headline says in relation to sign-ins, it's a silly season. Um, there's been a lot of people linked to Celtic, as is always the case, really, Sean. And um, we'll have a wee chat about certain people who have been linked. But surely um, patience is the key here because it's all about quality, isn't it? I think um, going into next season
0: yes and now quality nowadays means something much different to what it meant back in the day Uh, like say 20 25 years ago you were looking for recognisable names as your quality when we signed Neil Lennon pretty much everyone knew who Neil Lennon was similar with like Steve Guppy, John Hartson we just are not in a position anymore to sign uh, these names that we know Uh, players I mean even Lubo came in and was an unknown name but Like Again, quality, it's just a different kind of market we're in now because we're next door to that uh, grotesque cash monster that is the the English Premier League. And now you've got the Saudis joining in who'll probably be part of the Champions League in five to six years as well, the, the way things are going. So we do want quality, but it's really hard because the quality we get is now having to have an extensive scouting network. And it's rarely names that we know... Liam will know a couple of them from Japan and I'll know a couple from Australia. Uh, again, Jared's more an A-League fan than myself, but uh, it's unless it's a local supporter, generally it's names that most Celtic fans haven't heard of. Mm-hmm.
3: No, you're right. And, you know, I just think we've got to be smarter and uh, the recruitment has got to evolve. And I think it has done. We'll be talking about that. John and I started a discussion yesterday around what's changed, you know, when you compare what Brendan walked into first time round compared to now, obviously the furore around his return has been completely different. Um, he comes in the first time there's 13,000 at Celtic park and it's uh, blazing sunshine and they are live streaming. I remember it. Summer Harl was presenting it that day and they were live streaming Sean about this amazing arrival and, Amazing arrival it was, this time round it was a little bit more muted uh, for circumstances known to everybody tuning in, uh, but everything within the club uh, that has changed, I say everything. There's certain things obviously we're unaware of, seems to have changed for the better compared to what it was like when he took over first time round, and one of the big, big, biggest parts of that improvement I think has been in the recruitment. So we'll be we'll be chatting about that as well, and you know we know how cash rich we are as a football club. Uh, even just today, another report, Celtic get half a million quid for our players appearing at the World Cup. There's money coming into the the club. There's income streams that are uh, maximised year on year. And I, I think we need to be patient so that we ensure that we get this right. Because I was talking uh, during the week there, Sean, about how Brendan, or yesterday, about how Brendan Rogers is going to take us to a higher level. People say, well, can Celtic go to a higher level? Well, yeah, you can you can get better. Yeah, you can win a treble domestically, but you can improve in Europe, even if it's incremental improvement, season on season. Um So we'll be having a wee chat about that. Are there any targets in particular that have piqued your interest, Sean?
0: Uh, the, the the reader and McTominay ones have definitely piqued my interest because I guess it's kind of antithetic to what we've seen a minute ago, but McTominay is obviously a name that we all know uh, very well. Uh, he wouldn't help us out with the Champions League quota because he's trained in England, but um, he's certainly uh, a Scottish international. So uh, there's a kind of aspect of uh, locality there in terms of uh, attracting the player uh, versus say he was Portuguese or something like that. Um, and Reader is another one that just sounds like a market that we've just never been in, ever really. um kind of makes me think of you're mentioning Europe is the kind of benchmark, and we always think like what are the teams we' we're, we're, we're competing against like or could be competing against, and you know we always say teams like Ajax, Benfica, Porto, mm. obviously these teams are, are ahead of us because they've just been doing it in a different way, a different level for much longer than us um but this is the sort of market they did and when when Porto tried to pay thirteen million for Encham, that's what we were essentially potentially, uh, looking to do with someone like Fabian Reader there. Uh, so it seems like we're trying to dip our toe into that market. What I did find really interesting last week was um, Sporty and Lisbon smashing their transfer records, uh, 24 million euros on that striker. Um, the name has gone out of my head. He was winning an English championship, uh, but I think they're expecting him to go... Uh, there and help them compete in Europe and then move on for 50 million or whatever Yeah, ah, the, yeah. The, the name is going to make Coventry I think they signed them from but Listen, 25- Sean,
3: the only player I was concentrating that, that went to spot in Lisbon over the last couple oh, of weeks was know.
0: Jacinta I know man, sad, sad news and, a few coming and
3: their strip looked better as well <laughs>
0: it did, yeah uh, yeah man, I just I hope Starfield doesn't get at your feet but yeah um, yeah, it's, I don't know, what it's weird, man. Like, the, the clear out in the women's team, it's weird. There's a few coming in now, but I don't know any names in the women's game, so I don't know if it's upgrade or not.
3: I think, yeah, it is, to the, the kind of casual observer, quite unusual. Uh, Sean, but what I'm going to do is uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've not had a chance to catch up with Natasha. Natasha is definitely Axom's um, in-house expert when it comes to the women's team. And we will get a good update from Natasha when she joins us next. Um, but it does look as though there's there's been too many departures and not just kind of French players, players who were pivotal to that success under Fran Alonso. So we'll certainly be looking at uh, whether or not the calibre of um, additions to the squad will get us back up to that level because it's a shame. I think the biggest shame about this is the fact that, you know, there was the buy-in last year, Sean. You know, you looked at the two games back-to-back, the amount of uh, fans that went to the two games. Uh, was it not something like 18,000 over the two matches or 15, 16,000? Incredible backing. Um And then, you know, the, the team gets stripped bare a wee bit and it looks as though we're lacking a bit of ambition. Uh, Hopefully that's not the case there. But I I totally get what what you're talking there about, uh, Sporting Lisbon, because we spoke about how you can bring in a player at, let's say, um, Hatati's level or O'Reilly's level in terms of transfer fee, and then you can turn that into, you know, a few levels above that. You bring in somebody like Jota or Katta Vickers, you would see what the, the the cash is that we've got for Jota. So like you say there, at some point, you would hope that you can then enter the realms of pushing that up even further because the payback is higher. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's something that will be done within the next three years under Brennan Rodgers, I'm not so sure, although I think he will be pushing for it because, you know, the Calibari player he was pushing to sign following the, the um, signing of, of Edward, was kind of trying to push us into that nine to 12 million pound bracket. And I think Celtic got a wee bit scared of them pushing the envelope and kind of retreated from that. But you would think that, you know, in time that would be the natural progression recruitment wise, wouldn't it?
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing
1: home the bacon.
2: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
1: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Yeah. And and it does matter, like, how much you're paying for players and where you are as a team. Like, how much you can ask for those players when they're leaving as well, right? Because, what, like, think about. I don't know, Aberdeen, for example, like they have players that go on to become like EPL players, like Ryan Fraser, Scottish international. How much did they get for him? Like two million, something mm. like that. Like I think their record income was six million for Scott McKenna. Like they they can't. Even when we sold Van Dyke, he's went on. To, he went on to become the best centre back in the world. But we were we were Celtic at the time, I and mean, that was one of the highest transfer fees we've ever received. That's just the market we're in. Say we'd paid 12 million for Van Dyke rather than 2 million, then we start saying, well, we've paid 12 million for this guy, so we're not going to sell him for less than 20. So it's just, it's levels, isn't it? It's like a kind of steps. What step are you in? What tier are you in? Mm -hmm.
3: And and by the way, again, another discussion we had a couple of weeks ago um, when there was um, some kind of speculation around the future of Kyogo. Uh, The transfer fees that we saw that were being quoted for Kyogo were around the 16 million pound mark, Sean. And I was saying that, You know, we should be looking at. I think we've got maybe half a dozen players or so who could command big, big fees if we decide to sell them. And as I say, I hope that doesn't happen in this pre-season. Although we probably would expect maybe another one to go. Then you should be looking at twenty to twenty-five. And you know, some people say we're, we're not really in that market. And. The, the examples of Juranovic and Yakimakis were used, of course, because they're you know recent sales. Uh, but I think the circumstances were slightly different with, with both of those players and the deals that we brought them in on. So in one way, when Jota was to leave for twenty five million, I didn't want to lose a player. I never liked losing quality. But the fact that we got the, the correct fee for him, in my view, that was the right the right fee for Jota. And again, the circumstances were. Such that the uh, Saudi Arabian money was involved. Therefore, you know, that might have uh, added a few million on top. I'm going to go back to Paddy's uh, question around the score because the team that I was supplied with last night from our very own Colin Watt was Segrist, Deddy, who's the young player who had been playing kind of beating football last season, uh, Kobayashi, Scales, Burnaby, Awata, McCarthy, Turnbull, Forrest, O, and Haxabanovich. Now, Someone could have sent me any start eleven, and there's no way I could have had it verified. But that's what I was told. I've named Colin Watts. Sorry, big fella. Um, and that was a team, apparently, that, that went out. So I think it was more about, um, when you look at that team, in terms of the futures of some of those players, Sean, it certainly was more about uh, the training camp and just getting a couple of bounce games in between that. Because I'm guessing there are some players in that start eleven who will not kick a ball for Celtic this season.
0: Uh, yeah you would assume Dede would struggle to even get on the bench for the rest of the season um and we, we you see similar things every preseason so it's not like it's, it's not major news here uh, the kind of surprise though is that the players that were on internationals were playing as well like owen hackpanovich uh, were playing in the last international window but they're st- so uh, that's a weird one to me, but like they must have came back in great shape if they're uh, in there already. But yeah, obviously like Iwata, Turnbull were not an international, so you would be expecting them to, they started pre-season like a week before uh, the other boys that had an extended break. So that's the way I kind of look at it. Um, but yeah, the surprise is the ones that are included that were internationals. It's a strange mm-hmm. one.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, before we move on from the targets, because the speculation, uh, when you see a story, like when we saw the story around Brendan Rodgers, Kevin Graham and I were talking about the quality of the source um, who broke the story, and it was a very, you know, for me, credible source in Stephen McGowan. So you you believe it. Mm -hmm. A lot of these players, you know, it's that time of the year where you run a transfer um, rumour and you will get many, many clicks on that rumour and so you've got to take a lot of them up into Um, Some of the names that we've seen, maybe in that respect, Donny van de Beek and Kieran Tierney, his name has re-emerged this morning, I've noticed, Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, I've that. Yeah. I, I'm off the view, listen, if you're getting the Kieran Tierney that we had, um, who worked so, so well in, in Rodgers' system, first time round, brilliant. Um, but, you're, I mean, the Tierney, not even just as a player, the, the Tierney that you, you would be bringing in now, in terms of the expense of that, it's just, you know, I think it's short-termism. It's it's not going to lead to a permanent signing, which is how we have started using the loan market, Um, you know, bring them in on loan so that we can actually look at them with a view to signing the guy. It's not going to be that. It's going to be very much a short-term fix. Now, there's no doubt, I think, that uh, the left-back, particularly the backup left-back, has to be strengthened. But I don't think Tierney's the answer, Sean. Yeah, it's a
0: tough one, isn't it? Because... <laughs> I don't know. Tierney could help his compete. Oh, it would be an upgrade at left-back, put it that way. There's no real question about that. We can say that he's been struggling in the, the Arsenal team, but then he comes up in the Scotland team and does well. So mm. I don't think there's really uh, much of a problem there in that sense. Uh, but yeah, is it about winning this year or is it about developing the squad? It's kind of a hard one to tell, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, he's obviously a kind of player that's outside of the market we'd normally be able to shop in unless he did have that emotional attachment. And it's not like we'd be taking him on loan with a view to signing him next year. As far as if if I remember correctly, he's contracted to Arsenal for another three years. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe he'll come back then, but he'd be 29 at that point. So pretty limited. I don't know. It's kind of file under Robbie Keane, isn't it? That sort of thing. I know. And by the
3: way, I loved, at the time, seeing Robbie Keane in the hoops. I mean, his uh, career choices have, have been questionable in recent times, but I do remember him signing and thinking, wow, what a player we're, we're getting on, And Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane, interesting fact about him, the, the, the manager who gave him his senior football debut was none other than Mark McGee. Mark McGee of Wolves um, gave Robbie his debut. He was later signed by Mark's mate, Gordon Strachan, for... Coventry City and he scored goals wherever he went. He even scored goals at Inter Milan and he certainly scored goals at Celtic. Um, The other targets, is Tete. Interesting that he obviously spent a bit of time under Brendan Rodgers at Leicester when he was on loan there. Um, What's the the situation at the moment with Shakhtar? Because he's now looking for a new club, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's a free agent as far as I know. Uh, Again, another player I don't know too much about but he's got a good pedigree. Kind of similar to Donny uh, van de Beek in that sense. They are technically... Uh, they have the they have pretty clear and evidenced uh, technical ability uh, but that's not going to cut it on its own in Scotland so we would need to look at dig a bit deeper than that and it's the those thing uh, Postacoggle used to say is he, he just knew he would always phone players and he would say he could just tell if a player was going to cut it or not uh, there's obviously a couple you could point to that would contradict that you know uh, over Abelgaard for example mm. um, but um Yeah, if Van de Beek and Tete are pretty top of the list of the names we're linked with in terms of technical ability, which would be potentially raising as a level in Europe, but um, are they going to just phone it in? Are they going to be gone in short order like Juninho was or Freddie Lundberg or all these other players that have great technical ability but didn't do it? Or are they going to come in with their great technical ability and be the next Lubo or Naka? (laughs) I can't tell. I, I barely even know these guys. Um, I barely could, could barely spell their names. Never mind uh, tell you what their characters like. So I'm not sure. No,
3: but that that is the thing. Talking about the character is obviously with Teddy Brendan Rodgers has worked with them. We spoke about that. Just the other week, there as well, about how often you know a manager will bring in a player that they're familiar with, having either worked with them or in Postacoglu's case, you know, players that he was so um aware of due to the fact that he was working uh with or against them uh, in the Japanese league. Uh, that would be an interesting one, I, I've got to say. I think the quality is there, certainly. And then Yang Hyun Yoon, um, has also been speaking about uh the situation with um him coming as a as a right winger, 21 year old, uh, and I think that. What's going to be interesting in the next few weeks is where we're taking the recruitment. Just like what you were talking about before, because the calibre of player we've mentioned today, albeit um, you know how credible the sources are, we don't know, uh, in some of those cases. It does seem as though we're, we're going to be shopping in a, a market that's going to add some real quality to the Celtic side. But going back to that friendly last night, um, I'm more interested, like you say, McCarthy played... Whatever you know, I'm, I'm thinking he's not going to be a player for Celtic this season. I just wanted to know the kind of shape that Rodgers would uh, implement and deploy, even in the bounce games, you know. Um, and you know, going back to Tierney, for example, I always remember Tierney being a more so than than Lustig due to his mobility, that that bombing overlapping winger, uh, you know, from the, the full-back position. And when he did that, you had a player in Lustig who could then become more of a part of a back three whilst we were in possession, whilst we were attacking and you would see that we almost had three centre-backs but Lustig was comfortable with that due to the fact that he played many, many games at international level at centre-half. If that's something that Rodgers decides to do, do you think we've got the full-backs for that in terms of the overlap and the other one, you know, just coming inside? Because I don't have concerns about them coming inside. I think having played the inverted full-back, they're going to be pretty comfortable playing centrally Um, however the overlap I don't think you know that is the strength of some of our fullbacks
0: Greg Taylor was famously chastised uh, in his when he first signed for Celtic because of that because he couldn't put a good ball in when he was Mm -hmm. on the overlap on the wing so I think that's more feels more like a Barnaby thing than a a Taylor thing to play that system Um, Alistair Johnson I think could do it no problem Ralston I don't actually think the inverted fullback suited Ralston as well. Uh, I felt like we always did it better with Taylor than we did with Ralston and and Ralston was more of a bombing down the wing kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like Ralston because he's a good physical presence at set pieces and at back uh, back post crosses which is an absolute Shocking deficit in Burnaby's game. Uh, and if you need evidence, go back and look at that penalty. We conceded against Dundee United, uh, the one where it hits his hand, uh, where he jumps up to head it and he somehow gets smaller. Uh, so that that's that's a concern. And it's something that's also aimed at Taylor at times, but he's not quite as bad. And it's also a problem that I think we had when we put Adam Montgomery at left back. Uh, again, he was just I ducked out. When the ball was in there, again, he got smaller somehow. Uh, so, and look, I know we're saying we don't measure ourselves against them, but they've just seen a bunch of six foot plus players and that's going to be what they're targeting, isn't it? And it's a tactic they've always used. Stick Kyle Lafferty on top of uh, whoever the left back is and just launch balls at him. Uh, Lee Nailer is that how they used to do it too? Lee
3: Kyle Laffer he's had a fantastic move recently though hasn't he? He was unveiled <laughs> yesterday that. seventh tier of Scottish football fair mm. play Kyle I'm, I'm glad that you still need the dough at this stage of your career um, now that is something that I'm, I'm interested in because I, I've I felt under Ange that the fullback has got a lot of praise, and rightly so. We spoke about the right back position being a, a troublesome position for many, many. I think for many years after Lustig retired—not retired, but left Celtic—and um, we went through the whole, you know, succession of right backs who didn't just didn't fit in. You know, I, you know, I think the exception would be Jeremy Frimpong because we obviously made a success of pong and made a lot of money off him and are about to make even more money from the sell-on from him. But then we get Ralston, and I agree with you. I think the moments that you remember of Ralston are very much offensive moments where he's overlapping, where he's getting the ball into the box. You know, Some of his crosses have been superb over the last couple of seasons and, of course, chipping in with a few goals as well. I can't really remember that inverted um, area of the park being his strong point, like you say, mm-hmm. um, whereas it seemed to suit Greg Taylor a lot better. I would hate to think that the Greg Taylor we've seen in the last two years isn't going to continue to develop under Brendan Rogers, But I do think it comes down to the shape. Uh, Johnston, I thought Johnston, you know, his best qualities are in defence, but uh, overlapping again. He can do it. You saw him doing it. And Burnaby, I'm I'm just not sure at all about Burnaby and his future at Celtic because, yeah, there were some moments you're thinking, oh, he's, he's pretty good offensively. You know, you did sometimes think that, but then it was erratic at other times, Sean, you know, to mm-hmm. the point where I, I think there was a few games where players didn't play him, even though he was the outball because they didn't have a kind of confidence that he was going to use the ball and possession correctly. So, I wanted to see that last night. Didn't get an opportunity, unfortunately. The other thing I was looking forward to to seeing is whether or not we were going to go with a number 10 uh, in relation mm-hmm. to, you know, thinking back to Roderick and then looking at the Leicester side that he had where he, he did, he, you know, always, but he did play Madison in that area as well. And I'm thinking to myself, will he play a number 10? And if so, who do you think we've got at the moment who would suit that position?
0: It's interesting. I've, in- feel yeah i don't think there'll be any of wholesale changes tactically um because i think it'll be more refinement rather than redesign uh, so i think and and obviously even postacoglu himself uh, think back to the kimarnock game onwards the away game was starting to try and implement a, a more fl- i don't know flexible fluid but slightly different Uh, midfield system, which would suit us a bit better in Europe uh, next year, so he had his eye on that quite early so I'm wondering if we're going to go that way uh, because we do have players like McGregor and Iwata are essentially, when you look at the squad there are two, if you were going to double pivot, it would be those two but those two are also very dynamic players who can push forward well I know we've not seen a lot score a goal yet but it looks like he can get in and around the box and be effective and Cal McGregor can it's probably one of our best players for scoring outside the box so I would almost like to see us have a kind of what Alex Ferguson used to do with Man United was the players would move about all over the pitch and yeah. the opposition didn't know what they were doing and the rest of the team would just know to fill in so like the, the shape was always The shape was always there, but the players were moving around within the shape and it was keeping opposition players on their toes. And I wonder if that's something we could be looking to do. I'm not sure, though. Yeah. I don't know, man. Are we going to stick with two number 10s or uh, two number 8s or are we going to go to a central 10? I think we're probably more likely to stick than twist, to be honest.
3: Mm -hmm. I I do see, and again, you know, just from last season, looking at the likes of Haxabanovich, we spoke about signings that um Ange made in his second season. Because, I mean, his signing record in season one was sensational. Uh, absolutely no doubt about it. S- second season, there, yeah, there were successes. Johnson, for example, but I think there's a, a player in Iwata who, by the way, was was announced today after quite a way he was announced as a permanent sign and You kind of took it for granted that that had happened. It hadn't been announced. Is Celtic short on social media staff at the moment? I don't know because it hadn't been announced until today. Um, and I think that Iwata is one to watch for next season. I think we're going to see the real Iwata next season and it won't be at centre half I don't think.
1: Um,
3: Johnston I think we've seen enough of him to know that he he is going to be a, a real um, cog in the wheel, although he's injured at, at this moment in time and the other two that I threw into the mix was Hak because I think that if he is deployed properly because I don't think he's a winger uh, but we'll come back to that Sean, I think he could be that that number 10. He could be uh, the, the guy who needs to pick the lock um, and he does it. I think Often as an impact sub, he's, he's come on. In terms of what my, my comments around him being a winger, I think he cuts in more often than not. And I don't know if that's suited to Dan Spostakoglu because we, we got really used to Maeda and Jota hitting the line, getting the ball over, etc. But But Haksabanovic seemed to default into cutting inside. I don't know if that that was something that you noticed yourself on. And if you think that Haksabanovic can have more of an impact playing more centrally.
2: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com.
0: Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Yeah, but we always said he was better coming off the left. Uh, when he was playing off the right, all he could really offer was uh, that kind of back post finish kind of thing. Uh, and not much else. Uh, but I get—I absolutely get what you're saying. The qualities of number ten that he has—he's got good vision, quick turn, uh, good short-distance pace. Like he accelerates over five yards very quickly, and, and his uh, his weight of pass is really uh, exceptional as well. Probably the the best in the team. So that's kind of good for those incisive through balls in the final third. Um. But then you also see in games where we're playing in the counter-attacking style. So, like for example, uh, when we're beating Sevko, when we're one or two nil up, and he gets a bit of space to run into, and he absolutely kills it running into space. So I wonder if he's more um, going to be more suited to Europe, to be honest, and that, that kind of counter-attacking play uh, than it would be. Yeah, he struggles against the low block playing as a winger, but then mm. I feel like in a more open game in Europe it does better there does that make sense like no, it, kinda... it
3: absolutely does it <laughs> absolutely does and I think the the, the unfortunate thing with, with, with Haksabanovic was that when he got into his flow as well Sean you know it, it was kind of like unfortunate for him that he got injured because I do think that he would have got into a run of games there that we might have seen the best of him in Europe. And unfortunately, um, he he got his injury. And I think, you know, looking at his career as well, he's been around for ages. You know, he's been around the senior game for about 10 years and he's only, I mean, he made his debut when he was 15. That's astonishing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other player that I threw in there, and I want to know your thoughts on this, is, is O. Um, interesting that both Haxabanovich and O started last night. If my source, Colin Watt, is uh, indeed correct and credible. Um, I know he's credible, but whether or not he's correct, I don't know where he got it from. I never saw that online. Um, And O was the other signing who, you know, when you look at his records, seven goals and three starts. I know that the the stats now look at minutes, and I think it worked out as 84 minutes for every goal that he scored.
0: Which was better than Kyogo last year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he had yeah, a better yeah, had a better goals per minute ratio than Kyogo. Uh I don't really think that's necessarily fair because for two reasons. One, Kyogo, uh Kyogo was nobody's player of the year at the start of January. Uh when he scores that goal to equalize uh at Ibrooks, he really kicked on after that. So uh I'd maybe if you want to compare it to his second half of the season stats, he'd probably have Kyogo in the lead, but I didn't actually check that, I'm just assuming. Um but yeah, I, I like I do like O. Uh, he is n- maybe just not quite as good as Jacky Marcus was, but also is improving rapidly. And I have no doubt whatsoever that O is ex- so much better than Jack Marcus was at, when Jacky was O's age. So that tells you what you need to know about uh, what we could get out of him. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, in that area of the park, right? Um... I look at the, the kind of physical aspects of O comparing him to maybe Dembele or, or Eduard, who by the way were two completely different players, but in terms of their stature, you know, the players that Brendan utilized last time round. And then you look at uh, at Leicester, you know, the, the kind of style of Vardy, you know, not just the, the physical prowess, but the the style of him playing on the, the shoulder of the last defender, which was more kind of Kyogo style. Uh, Kilgo was always going to be the first pick. Of course he is, and I and I think that O will develop, like you were saying there, Sean. Is it still a a position that you would like to see us bringing in another striker?
0: Well, in regards to O, the, he he was trying to find his way, try to find the system a little bit, and and you've seen like for example when Klinsman came to watch him, he was all over the pitch trying to, mm-hmm. you know, impress Klinsmann, uh, get involved in the game. One of his worst games, right? But then you look at other games, like when Kuehl comes on as a winger uh, and as a midfielder, uh, I can't remember the game, Motherwell, the one each game. And like it's the games where he's on the last man, as you mentioned, playing the Kyogre role, where he, where he has looked the most impressive, where he's uh, less involved in that midfield play. Do we need another one? I mean, I still think of Maeda as the, the third choice, mm. so um unless it's a significant increase in quality i don't in terms of numbers i don't think we do uh in terms of quality like maybe if you would again if you'd asked me end of december start of january like i would I, excuse, excuse me uh, people did ask me and i was actively saying that Kyogo, we needed an upgrade on Kyogo for europe and i've kind of changed my mind on that one to be totally honest uh Kyogo has clicked and absolutely turned a corner since January and he is what we need in Europe. But I still think we're probably okay unless we're getting a significant increase in quality. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be delighted to see Kyogo scoring
3: in the Champions League because it's it's one of the things that, you know, it's the next level for him break your duck in the Champions League and then the goals will flow hopefully Jungle Lion you're coming back in Uh, patience is correct but supporters are at the same all over wanting everything now and for that's just a, a sign of the times in general as well last night we wanted everything we wanted every single kick of the ball last night never got any of it David Boyle comes in. If we get the correct players in to raise the standard, like we're talking about, Sean, uh, then I will have patience. It's top quality needed now, so it may take a bit of time. I think it will take a bit of time. And I think that uh, we're all understanding of the fact that the team that that played last night will not resemble the team that plays the first competitive game under uh, Brendan Rodgers. Some comments, bringing all into this a wee bit, actually some of the comments that Brendan has made in relation to the condition of the players, you know, taking them to another level of fitness, Sean. I found that quite interesting. Uh, I think that when mm-hmm. we signed Hitati, um the transformation in Hatati physically on the Ranch Coglu, was was noticeable. And then I think that last season, um oh was the player that I noticed a physical change and he's obviously came into a different kind of regime. So I was always under the understanding that, you know, we, we trained at a really high tempo and everybody was super fit. Rogers has come in and says, we can get them fitter. What did you make of mm. those comments?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that's... Yeah, it feels like a kind of new manager trope to come in and, and say that. Like That's pretty much what they always say, right, when a new manager comes in, particularly in pre-season when... I mean, I guess players are unfit at the start of preseason, right? That's the whole point of a preseason. Um, the only time I can ever remember being concerned about fitness of the players on the was when we lost that semi-final in extra time. Yeah. Uh, to, to Sevko, Sevco, who just played 120 minutes in Europe and then still looked fitter than us somehow. So that it was a concern at that point, but also the squad was so thin back then but we were kind of giving them that pass on on those grounds. Um But yeah, like I'd I'd, I'd be surprised if there's much room for improvement, to be totally honest with you. Uh, yeah, it's a strange one to be honest.
3: It is, but managers say that, don't they? They come in and yeah. they always, they always tend to to go for that line. So we might just write it down to that. Um, I mean, the 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 fitness was one of the biggest things that we spoke about last season, and the fact that we were able to grind teams down and the we never stop mentality and all of this kind of stuff. So if we are going to push it up an even uh, further level and a, another degree, then I look forward to seeing it. Kevin Mullen, afternoon Axom. can't wait for season to start or crazy delusional neighbours think they are going to uh, romp the league with the players they are brought in, will they never learn? No, they won't. <laughs> it's just like what Sean says, there's certain things that are said at the same time every single season. Uh, and yeah, new signings coming in, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. We've heard it all, haven't we? I mean,
0: That's remember countries. Bruno
3: Alves even said that, didn't he, when he came in?
0: Yeah. I'm here to win your title. And it, uh, they cut and paste the same things every year. She's like, oh, where, where's that one you wrote last year? Uh, just change the name and the picture. Cool. All good. Save the time, you know? I think their job's going to be gone pretty soon once AI starts writing their articles anyway. So,
3: <laughs> I think it might have started elsewhere, you know. AI It's something I've never looked at. I know that people are using it. I've never used it in terms of writing. Um, and You're right, with all the new technology coming in, it will, I think, write off quite a lot of these people's jobs because it is churning out the same story. The Urban Culture, good day, everyone. Uh, ticket spot for the Wolves game, Irish Rail c Let's have a wee chat about that then because... You know mm-hmm. it, it was a shame it was it, it was one of these things where obviously there's been issues with the the promoter and you you started to sense that there was an issue because um teams were dropping out of that uh that I was going to call it a tour, uh, but that leg over in South Korea, Sean, and then, of course, Celtic uh, followed suit, and we, we suggested that you still need to have that competitive game, so thankfully, Wolves and Celtic have got together, but there are concerns about the kind of cost of that game as well, but it's great to get over and play in Dublin, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, and is it Aviva? Is that where they're playing it?
3: Yes. Yep. Is,
0: is, there a, is there a rugby game on or something the next day? Following day, yeah. Lawrence
3: actually pointed that out. Um, so in terms of accommodation, travel, etc., everything's going to go through the roof, or it already has, and it's going to be a difficult one for the, uh, the for the pockets. However, I, I do think that it's something we should always look at doing. I think we should always play a game in Ireland every single year. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and if we can get a, a if you could get someone like Liverpool over, and that, that Aviva Stadium would be full, right? Because uh, obviously you've got like tens of thousands of default Celtic fans, but then you've got. Everyone else in Ireland is either Liverpool or Manchester United. Is that well, not exactly, but roughly speaking, right? So, if you can get one of those two teams over, you could pretty much sell any number of tickets you want. So, if you're a promoter, and that would be good for Celtic in terms of uh, that's the level of team we want to be trying ourselves out against. That's the level of occasion we want to be practicing for, and that that would be ideal. But Wolves are uh, they're a big team, and uh, the Viva Stadium is a big stadium, and there should be a lot of tickets sold so uh, it's definitely uh much more useful than uh, blackout friendlies in portugal against porto Muno. No, I can't even say the name
3: no you're right um <laughs> and hopefully it will be televised and we can watch it um uh, and uh, talking about be, uh, being televised with a great discussion yesterday about Gil Scott Heron and um you know his connection to celtic through his father Uh, There's a great image, actually, it was shared to me by Paul McQuaid of the Shamrock when um, Gil Scott Heron was doing a gig in Glasgow and he decided to go and visit you know the stadium. He, he went to Celtic Park. And there's a great picture of him outside Celtic Park. That was a stadium that his old fella played in in the 1950s. And uh, I, you know, at that time, I think he, he wanted to be and all the rest of it. But see, in 1985, the whole the whole Celtic commercial thing wasn't really um, kicking into play. So there is a picture of him, and he's, he's holding a Celtic scarf aloft, and it was mm-hmm. one of the ones that actually said Celtic FC on it. He's obviously been into the wee Celtic shop at this point, which was like a hot. Uh, And he's bought a Celtic towel as well, Sean, which was round his neck. I've got the same towel. It's a great image, a brilliant image. Seek it out, Um, Gil Scott Heron. So, yeah, it was good to have a wee chat about that yesterday, the urban culture. Um, So who thinks Tierney is a good idea if he ends up injured for two months? It has, you know, he's not had his troubles to seek when it comes to injury, Um, absolutely. But, you know, when you look at the point Danielle's making, can we really afford another injury-prone player? and Kieran Tierney uh, also seen AJ won't be back for the start of the season. Um it's one of these ones where if the player um is going to be available which you know looks to be the case. I think Arsenal certainly would want a permanent transfer. The the team that that has been quoted or the teams rather that have been quoted um is Aston Villa and Arsenal, uh, sorry Newcastle. And they're talking about a fee about 30 million, maybe 30. <laughs> plus million quid. And I think from our perspective, yeah, we have got other um, revenues coming in through sell-ons and all the rest of it. But if we can make the million pound off Tierney rather than shelling out a massive um, amount of money for a year's wages, I would much rather make the money. I'm going to be honest with you, Sean.
0: Yeah. I mean, when at the time when he was a kid as well, when he started getting injured when he was 21, 22 people started voicing their concern at that point that he'd been overdone before his body developed and that it was a thing that happened to Rafael Nadal and, and does happen to some famous sports stars in, in it. And nowadays, players are generally protected against it. I, I think that was a lot of the justification for not giving Karamoko Dembele a game. <laughs> And Tierney was kind of chucked under the bus in that sense. Like, we need to win this game. And you go, and there was no kind of long-term management. And now we're seeing the kind of downside of that. (sighs) On the plus side, it might make him a player that's available to sign for us. But as you mentioned, the the transfer fee is ridiculous. The only way we could even think about it is if we had some crazy deal where it was like, say, we paid 15 million and then said, if we make the last sixteen in Champions League, we'll give you all of our prize money or whatever. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Like how else could we possibly get that transfer over the line in that kind of market?
3: I'm just thinking if we are going to push the envelope um on a player, I probably would be reluctant to do it with Tierney simply because of his injury record um since he, he went to Arsenal. Well. He's
0: champions the quality.
3: Yes, yes. Um, let's see how it goes. Uh, some people are coming in to say, "Do we really need a marquee signing?" To be honest with d- Double Denim, um, the way that we've been treating uh, our recruitment in the last couple of years, we have created the player. If you like, you know, marquee, marquee signings. For me, Martin O'Neill made a lot of big, big signings of that ilk, Sean. Um, and then afterwards, there was players you've mentioned, Janino, for example. During O'Neill's time, didn't work out. You know, Gravison didn't work out. He was a marquee. It so was signed from Real Madrid. It didn't work -hmm. out. Um, I I don't think I'd put Roy Keane in that that bracket. We knew what we were getting with Keane. We we probably would have expected him to stay for longer. But his performances were excellent when he was at Celtic, other than his debut against Clyde, of course. Um, But he was a marquee signing. Robbie Keane was a marquee signing. And I don't think we need them because Jota wasn't a marquee signing. Carter Vickers was not a marquee centre, And look what they became. Um, But I do think we need to push it up that level to maybe bring in a player of that that kind of cost, you know, the six million quid. We've mentioned uh, the centre-half position and uh, obviously the team that we saw last night that we were supplied with Kobayashi and Scales played in centre-half for Celtic. Um, Staff felt importance over the last couple of years has been massive, absolutely massive. And the partnership that he has developed with Cameron Carter-Vickers has been one of the reasons why... I mean, that's the bedrock on which Angie's success was built. Uh, we've seen some footage from the same user, uh, credit to, to him. I'm, I'm not sure what his name, his or her name was, the guy in the hedge that, that, that filmed a wee <laughs> bit last night. And he got a bit of footage of Carter Vickers walking, I think, from the bus over to um, maybe the changing area. And he was limping. He's just obviously had an operation. He's now recovering. Uh, and he'll miss the beginning of the season. So the question is, I'm going to give you four options here in relation to who partner Starfield. Um, Kobayashi... Stephen Welsh Tomoki uh, Awata or a new recruit so how, how do you see that going who partners Starfield until Carter Vickers is back
0: oh, Man. <laughs> man um, it kind of helps in a sense that we don't have European qualifiers that mm-hmm. gives us till September really uh, to get whatever we're doing sorted Uh I think 3rd of September, 4th of September, is that when we play Sevco? And that's kind of the biggest game we'll have to start. I think Aberdeen away is a tough one as well, but like, uh, yeah, you know, that's hard, man. Because like, Kobayashi was absolutely stinking at the end of the season. Um, Welsh... Welsh versus Awata. If Welsh had been fit, I'd have had Welsh in there ahead of Awata because Awata did not do great in there. So for me, in that sense, it's almost Welsh versus new recruit. I don't think it's Kobe Asher or Awata. Kobe Asher might still click, but he was horrid at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, some of the things
3: you you, you look at a player and think um, that element of the game because I felt he was bullied in particular uh, Ibrox, Sean, and we said it at the time, Um, and I just looked at that aspect of the game. That's something that's identified really early in the development of a player, and if it's not sorted out by this stage, it might just be, listen, I don't want to write anybody off, it might just be that he's not suited to our domestic kind of like rough and tumble of the Scottish game. Stephen Welsh, the the conversation was brought up when Awata ended up filling in for a couple of games at centre-half, and we were like, where's Welsh? Is he fit? people are thinking you can't throw him into the cup final because at that point, Iwata had not looked convincing at, you know, at centre-half. And he is a player that I rate highly and I think he's got a part to play, but not there. So then you're looking at uh, you know a new recruit coming in. And I, and I think anyway, with Carter Vickers and Starfield fit, with the future of Welsh probably in doubt, there's talk of him going to Italy uh, with a doubt over Kobayashi I and mean, the fact that it's clearly not Iwata's favoured position. We'd probably be looking at that as being a position in which we would like to strengthen anyway, Sean. So I'm going to go with you on this. Um, In the meantime, we can't get the player in quick enough, and I had to choose from the other three mentioned. I'd probably go for Welsh. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, people might think, oh, you're never going to improve in Europe if that's your take on it. But if you're comparing Welsh, Awata and Kobayashi based solely on performances, I'd like to see the argument to say that one of the others would get ahead of Welsh at this this stage of the game, but I do expect to lose him as well. Um, listen, it's one of these ones that uh, this is why we want to look at the we want to look at the friendlies. We want to see if uh, these guys are going to be picked. And of course, Scales didn't even get a mention in that conversation, and he mm-hmm. apparently played last night. Uh, we mentioned Gravison. Robert Hayland comes in to say Real Madrid were desperate to get rid of Gravison. I'm just reading this morning about that training ground bust-up with uh, Rubinho. Who had cost them a few quid and Gravison was kicking lumps out of them at training. Um, and obviously they had to get split up, they were fighting and all that kind of stuff on the training part. Interesting enough, Gordon Strachan told a story about Gravison. Because you got the sense that Strachan and Gravison didn't get on, did they? Um and he was you talking about you? <laughs> <laughs> no he was talking about the fact that he just wouldn't do as he was told. Yeah. So you had a game plan, and then you'd see Gravison just doing what he wanted to. You know, he was chasing balls into the corner flag. He was told specifically, stay close to Neil Lennon, stay there. That's where you're playing. Um, and then when it moved into the kind of European uh, level, when he's still not doing that, it became an issue. Uh, to the point where Gordon Strachan approached him during halftime of one of the games and says, you know, you're going to have to tell Tommy Graveson to stop following me about the pitch and talking to me. And the thing is, Sean, he wasn't talking to him about the game. He was asking where he was going after the game if he was going for a bite to eat with his, <laughs> his missus and all that. Absolutely insane. So yeah, Robert Highland, I'm pretty sure Real Madrid were keen to get rid of Gravison. The, the, the one that was that they
0: they signed the wrong player as well from Everton, but they were apparently in for uh, <laughs> Carsley. I can't remember, and they accidentally signed the wrong baldy white guy.
3: Yeah, it's like they us signed the wrong Bangura.
0: Yes, you know, exactly. I,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a nice excuse when you, you sign the wrong player for, for a multi million pound fee. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you your opinion on, and I know that you were saying there that Jared off Celtic Down Under, by the way, check the guys out. Uh, they're increasing their content. Follow them on the YouTube and on the socials as well. Subscribe to the channel. Um, I know that Jared knows a lot, as you say, about the A League and the players coming through. I feel that, you know, there's this kind of like. Um, Sense around a lot of the comments that's coming in. Get the players in. Get Rodgers' these players in. We have signed two players. I'm not saying they've mm-hmm. gone under the radar, uh, but obviously we've signed Home and we've signed uh, Marco Tilio. What do you know about Tilio having obviously been based over there? What's your take on him?
0: Um, well, look, yeah, we've lost two, we've signed two, so we lost Moy and Jota. We've signed uh, Home and Tilio, putatively in the same positions. So um, it's in terms of numbers, we're, we're zero sum there. Uh, Tillio, young player, he's got five caps for the Socceroos, but would you give that much credit, really? When you look at the Socceroos team, it's absolutely loaded with Hearts and St. Mirren players and Dundee United players who got relegated. So I don't think it means much these days. Socceroos are not uh, at the level they were when you had Viduka and Kew. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But he is a City Group product. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess he was Sydney first and then he went to... uh, The City Group team Melbourne, and apparently Celtic have been tracking him for quite a while, and he's been aware of that. So, look, he looks good. Uh, He's going to have to raise the A League down here. The best team in the A League would be probably finished third or fourth place in the SPFL. And then the worst team in the league would struggle in the championship. And that's your kind of scale in the top league there. The fact that we signed Telio and that is the record signing for any player that left Australia... Yeah, that's left yeah. the A-League and that was around about £2 million. Uh, two, £2 million? Pounds. Was it pounds? Uh, I can't remember if it was pounds or dollars. And that, that broke the record that was just set a few weeks earlier by Jordi Boss when he went to Germany or Netherlands, I forget which. And that, that was another one that uh, our boys were saying Celtic should be signing. Uh, so he does look a good player as well. And there's there's always a couple to come through. The, the best thing that you get about the A-League is that you will get 16, 17-year-olds will break into a professional first team. That does happen. but mm-hmm. uh, but then, but then, And then they'll play maybe 20-something games, prove that they're good enough at that level, and then they'll get snatched up by a German B team uh, or a Dutch team at that point. Uh, and there's quite a few players have, have trod that path and then not really come to much after that.
3: I was thinking about that, actually, one of the points you made, Sean. This morning when I was looking at the World Cup money, and the fact that quite a few Scottish clubs benefited from having Australian players. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, take that on board, what you're saying there, in terms of the quality from, I'm not going to say the golden age of Australian football, maybe it is, uh, of your Viduka and and, and Harry Kuehl and all that kind of, because the guys were you know, immense. And the fact that Kuhl's still here, I think Telio was talking about, uh, you know, he's a hero. Uh, there was a Harry Kuhl award so that Telio came second in a couple of times and now he's going to be coached by him. So I- I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. I really am. Uh, obviously, like everyone else, I've seen the footage. Um, it took a long time, I feel, for Tommy Rodic to kind of settle in at Celtic and actually to did. show us. Um, so, you know, maybe that's unfair of me to think that the same might happen with Tilio. I'd love to see him hitting the ground running. I'd love to see him getting games. Um, and I'm really interested to see. It was great, I thought, also in the press conference. I thought it was brilliant. As was Laura who was asking the questions, I've got to say. Whose news? Uh Tierney didn't get help from refs. The one that I remember was uh, the Motherwell. Remember the Motherwell challenge? Was it uh, uh what's the guy's name? Right. Bowman, uh, was it Ryan Bowman? That's right. Uh, Ross Bowman, something yeah. yeah. I remember and that, and he, yeah. oh, you've done them terribly on the knee. Mm-hmm. Um I, I do remember
0: also, a yellow, yeah,
3: yeah. Terrible. And there's a there's a freeze frame image of it. It's a leg breaker. Yeah. You got yellow, you've got a yellow card for it. There was another game I remember um being a against uh, I think it was St. John's from one of the teams that John Sutton played for. And um, you could see that Sutton was on just to get in about physically getting about Tierney. Tierney was a young, inexperienced player, and, and they were lofting deliberately lofting balls to Tierney so that Sutton could just batter him and batter him and batter him. So I think that's a good point. I think it was it um, he wasn't helped rather from referees around about that time. Robert Highland Tierney not coming back? Forget it. I do get that kind of sense, Rob. I'd be amazed. I've got to say, I'd be yeah. amazed if he was to sign for Celtic this season um, I want to ask you very quickly right because you have appeared on this show a few times wearing what has been described as the worst Celtic jersey in history Sean um, and, and the very, our very own Lloyd Patrick Jepsen gave me my very own silver if you can call it that and pink away kit you got it on under there you might I'm have
0: a, no I've got a Scotland stuff on at the moment I that's pink really
3: as like. well ah, there you go <laughs> um And Lloyd gave me it for going away. He says, you know, there you go, long sleeves and all the rest of it. I tried to convince people that it wasn't as bad as first thought and no one changed their mind. We've just officially released the Celtic home top. Um, And there's been loads spoken about. On it. And I've got to say that some of the comments on the socials from um, early Celtic, which is Brendan Sweeney, who wrote the, the phenomenal books on the early history of Celtic, where he's basically going toe to toe with the club, saying no, 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 this has got nothing to do with the stained glass window, and by the way, that wasn't the original entrance, and he's spot on. Mm-hmm. The biggest, the biggest complaint I've got, right, and, and I'm not a massive fan of the amount of black that's on the kit. I look at that, I think Sporting Lisbon. It's the fact that the hoops are not clean lines and that is the OCD I just don't think it works what's your take on it
0: no I I really really like the the short sleeve version of it I I quite like having a bit of variety some of the best uh hoops tops in the past remember the one with the different hoops that maybe may not call them the best but they're certainly the most memorable the Tommy Bonds one
3: yeah yeah
0: and I I wasn't particularly a fan of the thin hoops one that we had about 2013 wasn't a big fan of that, but I do like something a little bit different. The only thing I don't like is I don't like the long sleeve. I don't like this big gap that they've got in the Adidas stripe. It's kind of jarring. Why did they
3: do that? I mean, you're wearing the classic three stripes right down the Mm -hmm. arms. And back in the day when that appeared on football jerseys, it was an instant classic. You think of the Netherlands winning the 88 European Championships with Van Basten and Hullet and Koeman and all that. Jan Wouters and all that were in that team. Hans van Mm -hmm. Brooklyn. Classic jerseys. Sean, yet Adidas now a they don't use the unbroken stripes down the sleeves, and b they don't use the trefoil which you've got on your tracky top there. They just don't mm-hmm. use it. Unbelievable! Why wouldn't they return to that? It's the classic. Um, maybe people would say it's all for you Celtic dads out there. I don't know. I think it just looks better. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about before we finish up for the this afternoon this evening for yourself, is the story around the allocation at Tynecastle. Now, I brought it up on Tuesday. I spoke to Lawrence. Lawrence was like, you know what? I'm not interested in what other clubs do. That's their domain. They can do what they like. We look after ourselves. Okay, that's fine. That's one view on it. I think that um, a club can look at that and think there's maybe margins of advantage either financially or in terms of the atmosphere, you know, the home support, right? understand it. My argument around that was at the time, You know, traditionally, football's about having, you know, combat between two rivals on the park, and a big part of that is the fans. And that's what, you know, Scottish football's renowned for the support, Sean. Uh, Even to this day, we are one of the, if not the, highest supported games in the whole of Europe when you look at, you know, the, the population of the country against the amount of attendances that we get. Massive part of that is the fact that we've got huge capacity crowds at Ibrox and Celtic Park. Every week we get that. However, you know, I, I do think the game is losing something if we don't have away fans at four massive fixtures. In fact, eight, because Celtic will respond to this, eight massive fixtures next season. Um And the other thing that that I was thinking about this week as well, Sean, is how does it affect refereeing decisions? You know, yeah, we, we'll have that in favour if we follow suit and we don't give them any tickets to Celtic Park, for example, because I'm expecting Celtic to knock back 650 tickets. How does it affect referees? Um, Is it something authorities really need to come in and sort out?
0: Well, look, first of all, I don't blame Hearts and I don't even blame Sevco. The people that I blame for this are the SPFL, who, when they were reconstituted 10 years ago or whatever it was, chose not to put a a rule in about this, which all our professional leagues, broadly speaking, have. Uh, including UEFA competitions, which our teams have to compete in. And it just makes our league look absolute tempot. Uh, and that's that's my kind of overall broad criticism of it. In terms of what you're saying about referee, absolutely, it definitely does. Look at the... We might as well write off those two Ibrooks games already. We're not winning either of them. We might get a draw, but we're not going to win either of those games. Todd Cantwell can just kick players, go into the crowd, do whatever he wants with complete impunity. Does You know, not even a, a booking... Whatever eight fills they committed to Ibrox without a booking. Yeah. So it does, it definitely does. And down in Australia, we have a term for it because it's broadly, exe- again, it's well accepted, like without a shadow of a doubt, that this is a fact of sport that the home crowd uh, influences a referee. No matter what, Whether not suggesting bias or anything, but they call it the noise of affirmation. Whereas when a referee, umpire as they call them down here, uh, makes a decision, the crowd will then support or go against that decision. And it just creates this kind of feedback loop in their head. And it's just, it's not a suggestion of uh, unconscious bias. Well, it is, but not uh, prejudicial unconscious bias. So it is an accepted thing down here that that is a part of sport. So uh, when we, when people push back on us and say, you're paranoid. Well, no, we're not. I mean, maybe we are, but like, that's, that's a different thing. Like It's just a thing. <laughs> it is a thing.
3: I definitely. Uh, you ask anybody, right? Ninetieth minute, Ibrox, Celtic player gets hacked in the box. What referee? You tell me a referee in Scotland who's brave enough to give that decision next season? No, so
0: it's a it's a I massive talking point. I don't even think I would. Do you know what I mean like personally? I don't. I don't think I'd be brave enough either. Like it's just look, to be totally honest, I'm, I, could, I could be scarcely be more, uh, could scarcely be less biased towards Celtic, and I don't think I'd be able to give it. I think Peter Martin raised it
3: last season. Uh, Refs are, are scared and this is going to add to that. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to watch that next season. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sean joining us from Celtic down under, Um, make sure that you check the guys out on YouTube and on the socials as well. If you've enjoyed what you've seen here, give us a thumbs up. It does help. And it also cancels out any lurkers giving us a thumbs down. And you know who we're talking about. Um, If you want to comment on everything that we've been talking about, subscribe to the channel and you'll be able to comment on the live feed as well. A couple of gigs coming up. We do one gig a month, by the way, Axom. And first one, is roy aiken in a couple of weeks he's going to be joining us at barra's art and design he doesn't do these gigs that often and it's taken a long time for me to get his name on an axon bill poster so if you want to come along and enjoy roy aiken uh, an audience with roy aiken and myself axon at barra's art and design the link is underneath this particular video and i expect that to sell out very very soon the other one of course that we announced a slightly different one charlie Mulgrew and Aiden McGeady and Mulgrew uh, will be joining us at Don Max, which is uh, Simon Donnelly and uh, Jackie McNamara's pub in Glasgow, next door to the garage in Soccer Hall Street. And that will happen next month. That gig has exploded. That's going to sell out very, very soon. If you want to get involved in that, then you will see all the links on our socials as well. Thanks. The 1000 uh, or thereabouts strong on the live stream today. It's been absolutely brilliant to catch up with Sean. And Sean, of course, thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Thank you Network.